Company Watch Financial Analytics. Hello and welcome to the Company Watch Coronavirus Podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst. Welcome, Nick. <laughs> Good morning. We're recording today's episode on Thursday, the 30th of July. We've got a number of things to discuss. Um, I think, obviously, the woes in the travel sector, they very much continue with the imposition of quarantine measures for arrivals from Spain, and that was imposed without really any warning. And the signals coming from the government that restrictions for other countries may well follow in short order. Then we've got a grim prognosis for city office hubs. Google was in the headlines this week for saying that it won't be requiring staff to return until at least June 2021. And that follows on from the Evening Standard report on FTSE 100 companies, which showed a huge amount of caution for firms that responded in making plans for anything like a full return to office locations. And we've also got um, the FT carried a report of the Prime Minister's conversation with business groups earlier in the week, where he struck a, a slightly different tone from the, the optimism of everybody being back at work from, from August, where he warned of a worsening pandemic after the summer. And apparently he, he said that he hoped that the country would be back to normal only by spring 2021. And then we've also got the National Institute of Economic and Social Research, who published um, some research criticising the government's decision to end the coronavirus job retention scheme, the furlough scheme, uh, in October, arguing that if it continued until the middle of 2021, it would dramatically cut the number of redundancies expected to occur this year. And for a similar cost, I think their costing on that was about 10 billion. Um, So, Nick, shall we start with the travel sector and it might be worth taking a slight step back because I think you did some research for the BBC didn't you in December 2019 on the the sector which didn't look particularly great. No that's true I I mean uh, just a a little a little bit of sort of slightly amusing background Um, the first time I did this analysis was a year previously so around about November 2018 and then recorded uh, an interview for BBC Breakfast um, about the woes of the travel sector way back then, um, got savaged by ABTA, who said that um, uh, it didn't recognise any of our findings, questioned the whole basis of the of the research. Um, and then about um, 12 weeks later, Thomas Cook went bust. So there was a certain Gosh. amount of <clears throat> certain amount mm. of, of, of amusement, although not obviously at the tragedy for for Thomas Cook and its um, and its many many no. people, um, but then as I suppose the um, the outlook for travel began to darken at the back end of last year, um, I was approached by BBC um, Radio Four, you and yours, who had re- commissioned the original research a year earlier, and said, "What? Well, why, don't, why don't we have a look at it again?" Yeah. So. I ran the research using the Company Watch database, and it picked up 4,000 travel agent and tour operator companies registered in the UK. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, if the figures looked <clears throat> bad in 2018, by the end of 2019, it really was quite, um, uh, quite, quite worrying. Um, 15% of the companies, uh, that's 600 of them, were zombies, so with negative balance sheets. Yep. And I'm not talking okay. a couple of quid negative, I'm talking about a significant amount negative. Um, what really struck me, though, was how fragile the sector is, because nearly a quarter of the companies 
had total assets of 25 grand or less. And if you think, you know, and some of them, I mean, I just had a holiday with one company where my holiday booking was more than their total assets. Oh, my goodness. I mean, just extraordinary. Yeah. Um, you think about that. Um, 34% of them, that's almost 1,400, were in the warning area. Mm. And so that's over a third. Yeah. And another 28% were had got H scores of 50 or under. So that means that 62%, getting on for two thirds of the entire sector, were below par for Below average. Mm. So that was in December 2019. And I, I pose a very simple question here What on earth are their financials like now? Oh, it doesn't bear thinking about. It, it doesn't one, even does it? bear thinking about, and and you know, sadly because of the um, the delay in the deadlines for for filing financials, we're not going to find out for a bit. But um, you know, I keep looking at the two travel agents in in the local high street uh, near where I live, and I just wonder if they'll survive. Mm. I really and it's, a, if, and it's, it's such a shame because it, it seemed to, to be that what with the air corridors um, mm. and the lifting restrictions in, in the UK overnight mm. stays, there was a glimmer of of hope that actually oh. something might be salvaged from the summer summer season. But with this sudden kind of pulling the rug underneath the yeah. uh, the ability to travel to Spain and and okay, there will be lots of people who are, who don't have a problem with being able to quarantine for fourteen days um, when they come mm. home. But all those those people who are working in key sectors and who are being asked to go back into the office now with the, the 1st of August mm. um, announcement from, from Boris Johnson, that it's not going to be possible. So the holidays will be no, cancelled. No. And, and, um, and of course, anybody coming back towards the end of the, um, the summer period, um, you know, what happens to kids going back to school absolutely. in September? Yeah. If, yeah, if anybody isolated. who was waiting to see and maybe were planning to book something last minute, it's unlikely to... Um, and and, and I gather anecdotally that an awful lot of people have cancelled holidays and not just Spain, elsewhere, yes, France, yeah. Italy, um, Belgium, which, which was quite a popular location. Um, if you couldn't go to Spain, then what, you might as well go and drink, drink lots of beer and eat boule yeah. frites <laughs> um, yeah. in places like Bruges. Um, then that's all gone. Anyway, so that's so travel. That's I travel. suppose so travel is so be very careful if you have risk in that area. Um, City hubs you mentioned, um, and you refer to the Evening Standard survey, Google and its you know, no, nobody back worldwide uh, in an office until June 2021. Twitter then followed that and said they expected all their staff to work from home indefinitely. So they have no timeline. Goodness. Um, now, there's a very interesting um, immediate uh, example of what this is doing to consumer facing businesses in city centres. It mm -hmm. makes it very clear. Um, the results were out two days ago for Greg's. <clears throat> and if there's any business that tells you what's going on in terms of footfall and, and what people are doing with their lives, it's Greg's. Yeah. yeah. Now, they were very proud of the fact that they had got their like for like sales in uh, the last week, um, so it would be the week for the middle of July, so very current, yeah. um, up to 72% of last year. I would have said, oh, my God, they're 28% down, but, you know, this is corporate. <laughs> these, are, these, are, <coughs> and these are also <coughs> in these teams. <laughs> Although yeah. it's interesting that uh, they say 80% um, turnover um, on a like-for-like -like basis is break-even, so they're losing money. 
Yes, okay. but that's not the point. That's that, you know, it's interesting as an overview. Um, they broke down the turnover change, like for like for a year earlier, into areas, into into locations, mm, and for, for city and town centre locations, mm-hmm. turnover is only at fifty five percent of last year, Gosh. and for. Any, any of their branches within the catchment area of a public transport hub, yeah. so you know, uh, the major London stations, the major regional stations, mm-hmm. the turnover is now at 35%. Wow. Actually, and then you, you mentioned the, to put this in context of Upper Crust, of course, because so Upper Crust have Yeah, upper crust, have, upper crust have gone. So, yeah. you know, if you are going through, I don't know, you know my, my London hub, it tends to be Marylebone, the Upper Crust has gone. Um, you know, there's a Greg's. Um, yeah. And even there. in that context, it's only 35%. percent. Um, mm. And and so you can just see what is happening to consumer-facing businesses, never mind the businesses and the individuals who service people in a city centre location or a town centre location, cab drivers, mm. you know, all, all the other things that go to make up a city centre. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> And of course, another thing that impacts those businesses is business rates. Now we had an announcement, didn't we? Yeah, we were expecting we were expecting some some movement on business rates, and that well, doesn't well, look like it's going to happen. Well, we were, and this is the classic case of the government facing in two directions at the same time. Um, mm. uh, they <clears throat> announced to the absolute shock and horror of people like me who have been calling for business rate reform for gosh a long time, almost 10 years now, many others. And they said, we're going to postpone the next revaluation exercise to 2023, which means that a lot of retail businesses are paying, or a lot of businesses are paying um, their business rates based on 2013 valuations. Wow. When the world was a very the world has changed, hasn't it, very, very much, yeah. So, so there was this sort of gasp of horror of, oh my God, the government's kicked the can three years down the road. But then the same day, Rishi Sunak comes out and says, actually, we're looking at business rates. We understand there's a problem. And at the moment, what we're exploring is bringing in a 2% online sales tax. So that would sort of level the playing field very slightly. But then the thing that everybody went, what? Um, Was he then said, and we're thinking of a property tax, which would be levied on landlords, not occupiers. As yeah, if this is bizarre, somehow, isn't it? So suddenly they wouldn't be passed on. You know, so, so that magically that would take the problem away from the from the tenant and put it to, or the occupier and take it to the to the naughty bad landlord, who would just simply pass it on. Mm. So, and we know that that's not that that characterization is really not that that simple, is accurate. it? You know, it's, it's not, really it's, it's it's much much more complex. The, the landlords, the pension funds, and local authorities, as we as we know, charities, lots of those. Mm. So, um, you know, to which my response is: Why are you making it so blooming complex? And by the way, has anybody thought about what's going to happen to valuation disputes? Uh, already, I think there's some extraordinary figure about one in three. Business rates bills is 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 um, challenged because of valuation issues, and the valuation office is swamped and has been for as long as I can remember. So yeah. now you're going to say to them, "Hey guys, um, we want you to revalue all of these properties for a property tax." 
you know, I mean, it, it's yeah, insanity. It just doesn't doesn't bear thinking about, it, yeah. It, it's in, insanity. So we'll we'll come back. I think the valuation issues will kill the property tax, and we will end up where I recommended in the first Grimsey review, along with the rest of the team, um, and we've been saying it ever since. Just put a two percent retail sales tax on. It would raise the same sum of money as the government would lose in business rates. Yeah. What is the problem? And I think the, in the OBR forecast, um, you know, with the, the the one year business rate holiday, they kind of mentioned that I think mm-hmm. I think we may have even picked that up um, in previous episodes that this may actually become a more permanent um, mm-hmm. relief, which is what yes. the, historically these reliefs are imposed as a as a temporary measure, often then, then over time actually end up becoming a permanent measure. So there's clearly well, something needs to be done. Well, in that, it's, in that area. it's interesting, Joe, because um, we don't have time to get into it now, maybe for, for you know, a future episode. But it's interesting that, that land, retail landlords have finally got to the point about fixed rents. And two of the big London landlords, um, Capco and Cadogan, have now come out and said, we are moving our tenants to turnover base rents. So, again, I ask the question, if the government, if, 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 if landlords are prepared to um, take their reward based on the success or the turnover or the activity level of the businesses that occupy their properties. Why can't the government get its business yeah. rates that way? It, and, I mean, and a... the valuation would become even more complex, wouldn't mm. it? If, there, if, you're, if you're then tying this to success oh. of business, can you imagine? No, how can you value a retail property where it's a turnover? You know, it's based yeah. on turnover and you don't know what the turnover is going to be. It's going to be a nightmare. Mm. Anyway, moving on. Um, We've got two more points to cover quickly. Um, you mentioned the furlough scheme criticism. Um, I don't think the government's changing its mind about uh, that, but the report from uh, that think tank, I can never the remember National, the order. National, Interest, National Institute of Economic and Social Research. Yes, I, I always get the initials the wrong way around. Basically said um, it's daft ending it because if you leave it in place but on a more selective basis, the tax take you'll take for, you'll get from the people who would otherwise be unemployed, mm. um, and the avoidance of paying uh, universal credit or Absolutely. other benefits means that it, the, the costs will be the same. So why mm. don't you leave it in place? And the, I mean, the, the government's argument is, you know, is it right that that, uh, that jobs should be artificially? Um, supported by the government which is i suppose a point of view but as, on the other hand if, if they are saying well actually we're expecting the economy to recover yep. you know you're not necessarily actually artificially holding those those jobs that wouldn't exist no, exactly. so you're just allowing them to 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 kind of carry on through until yeah. they become economically viable again so yeah and, and one little point hard. that we didn't discuss earlier joe that just to throw in um, the government has very quietly overnight instructed local authorities to terminate the local business grant scheme. Oh, really? Yes. And there's £1.6 billion that has not been claimed or dispersed, and that's going back to the Treasury. Oh, gosh. And lots of businesses are complaining that they haven't had a fair crack at the, at the whip, and but it's too late. They've just quietly closed it. So, you know, we are unwinding. We're seeing yeah. the unwinding and the consequences we will be talking about later in the, um, in the year. Yeah. Okay, last point, and it's a sort of nerdy um, insolvency-related point, but that's my bag, or my used, used to be my bag for 30 years. Um, I just wanted to bring to everybody's attention a little, little interesting uh, change. Um, the HMRC, way back in 2000, up to 2003, had preferential status for things like VAT and PAYE. 
That was done away with in 2003. Let's not go back in history and, and explain why. It was coming back anyway, much to everybody's um, chagrin in the insolvency world and the creditor world, um, because it changes the pecking order, it changes returns for creditors. Um, it's now been confirmed in the ins in the Corporate Insolvency Act that passed mm -hmm. last month that it's coming in from December 19, uh, 2020, and they will get preferential status. Now, just think about that. That's coming in at a point where many companies, because of VAT deferral, time to pay schemes for VAT and for PAYE, will have much heavier levels of, of HMRC debt. debt. Mm. So the, the return for ordinary creditors will undoubtedly go down. Yes. It will give HMRC uh, a potential veto on things like um, CVAs because they will have a bigger vote yeah. on that. And it may affect the willingness of lenders to support uh, businesses because, of course, it affects the recovery they make under their floating charge security for things like uh, stock realisation and and. Yeah, the, the other Those thing sorts with, of things. I think originally when it was due to come in in April, there was also um, a bit of controversy that it applied even to um, fixed, uh, sorry, the floating charges that were introduced pre April yeah. 2020. So it was a kind of almost retrospect. People had lent on the basis of one system and actually they would potentially recover under the basis of a new <clears> system. Yeah. Um, and I get, and I, I think that is still, still going to be the case. Yeah. So we'll see how this plays out. But again, I think if you have risk with 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 a business that has is building up a lot of um, uh, tax debt, you know, VAT and PAYE, you know, you want to think very carefully about what might happen, because we all know that next year is going to see uh, how bad a tsunami of insolvencies and failures. I don't know, but it will not mm. be it will not be pretty, and so you just need to be a bit careful about that. Yeah, and that's a question to ask. I guess. I mean, that is a question to. to well, you need to be asking that question your, all the time. Is you know, yeah. um, you know, what, how much do you owe HMRC? Mm. You know, because it will impact the ordinary suppliers and service providers' uh, recovery. I mean, I know that's usually not great, but. You don't want to lose any more than you absolutely have to mm. there. And one very last uh, thing that might gladden the heart of uh, creditors who hate um, the dreaded Phoenix um, syndrome, where companies reinvent themselves and dump debts as they go as, as they go uh, through the process. The Corporate Insolvency Act includes a provision that allows HMRC to seek to make the directors personally liable for unpaid taxes where HMRC can demonstrate there has been tax abuse. And this measure is aimed fair and square at Phoenixes. So those mm. directors who go through a failure every 18 months, um, HMRC lose a fortune every time, um, and, and other more, you know, more uh, ra ransom creditors sort of somehow get paid and don't lose money. Um, maybe this will change that behaviour. Yeah, that's interesting. That is interesting. Anyway, that's that. That's that's me. And again, um, I think I think it it kind of also um, shows that the the focus for HMRC I think is going to be on more on the fraud um, yes. recoveries. So I yeah. think there is going to politically it's going to be quite hard for HMRC to to go through the, that kind of pushing ordinary businesses 
who have just got into trouble over the edge. Yep. But that fraud, that that kind of feeling that that fraud is wrong, criminal. We yes. can we can actually be quite harsh on that. I think yeah. that's that's quite an interesting um, point to make. Yeah. So so that's sort of that's sort of me. But but um, I I couldn't close without um, mentioning that we have another of the major goalpost moving moments of this pandemic happened yesterday, when yes. the Nas- National Trust uh, announced it was laying off twelve hundred staff because it was going to lose two hundred million pounds in income. When the National Trust can't employ people, something in life has changed. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that me. A, a that, that's, that's me, Joe. And I think you've got a you've you've got a the usual problem of summing all that up. <laughs> yeah, it's hard, isn't it? So I think I was just trying to pull together our our kind of theme um, of today, and I suppose. The thing that strikes me is this uncertainty. And we've said it so many times how damaging uncertainty is um, to the recovery. And and yet you could argue, on the other hand, that the certainty of bad news is hardly any better. And I think if you think about the furlough scheme and, and the fact that the government um, have been quite firm that that will, that will close um, and the, the impact that can commentators expect that to have on unemployment and consumer spending is not going to be very um, very pretty but I suppose in a time when things are moving so quickly, if you have some anchors in your planning, if you can at least rely on certain things, it allows you to plan and you can make make provision for those things. Um, whereas when when the, the goalposts are constantly moving and and the and the ground is moving beneath your feet, it's very difficult to know how you can um, plan for next week, next month, next year. Um, so again, we we kind of always point point towards this, don't we? The the, the anchor of those. Um, those GDP figures, so that's 12th of August. We'll try and record um, something next week um, for everybody. I know summer is coming around, so we're, we'll be a bit in and out of our schedule, I'm sure. Um, so thank you very, very much, everybody, to, for listening. Thank you, Nick, for your excellent commentary, as always. And Pleasure. until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.